0: What is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath.
1: And I'm your other host, Daphne.
0: And you're listening to Going West.
1: Before we get into today's case, we want to give some shout-outs.
0: A huge shout-out to Alyssa in Chicago. Thanks for listening.
1: Yes, thank you, Alyssa. And also, we want to give a shout-out to some of our newest patrons on Patreon.
0: Big thanks to Samantha Ramsey.
1: And Rocky the Collector. Thank you so much.
0: Badass name, by the way. And Adam Burke.
1: Thank you, Adam. We love you guys. Thanks so much for subscribing. For those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's where you can subscribe just $5 a month to get two bonus episodes. It's patreon.com slash going west podcast.
0: Yeah, that's two bonus episodes for you guys every single month. It really helps out the show. So go check out our Patreon today. All right, everybody. This is episode 14 of Going West. So let's get into it.
1: It's now been a year since Bobby Jamison, his wife, Cheryl Lynn, and the couple's six-year-old daughter disappeared. I think right
0: now it's so
1: hard because I don't know,
0: I don't know what happened. They were exploring some land they were looking at buying in the Panola Mountains near Red Oak. Eleven days later, their truck was found abandoned on that same land. Their IDs, cell phones, cash, and their family dog were still locked inside. The family's whereabouts are still a total mystery. False rumors of the couple's involvement in witchcraft and drugs have hindered the family's search for real answers. It's really hard because, you know, I know my son would protect his wife and my grandbaby, but, you know, I just grieve because I don't know. I don't know what's happened.
1: The Jameson family consisted of husband and wife, Bobby, 44, and Sherilyn, 40, and Madison Stormy Star, their six-year-old daughter, who was the absolute light of their life. They lived in Eufaula, Oklahoma, which at the time had a population of less than 3,000. So it's a small town in southeast Oklahoma, just about 80 miles outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So they're pretty far from a main city. They really liked the idea of living off the grid and didn't seem to be very neighborly, although they were reported to be very loving people, they just liked their privacy.
0: They were actually interested in moving to Red Oak Mountain, which had a population of around 500, so that's pretty small. The town of Red Oak is very rustic and desolate with stunning views of miles of trees. It definitely seems like the place to go when you want to live on your own terms. The Jamesons were interested in a 40-acre plot of land in the area, and they actually planned on putting a large storage container on the land and just living out of it. The storage container was, at the time, in their yard at their home in Eufaula.
1: On October 7, 2009, the Jamesons drove their truck up to Red Oak to explore the area and visit the plot of land they wanted to buy. They became lost while driving and eventually spotted a local walking the streets, so they stopped the man to ask for directions. They also asked him what kinds of things needed to be done to live in the area and what it was like. The next day, on October 8th, the Jamesons packed up their white GMC pickup truck and returned to Red Oak. A few days later, they were reported missing and police began the search.
0: On October 16th, the Latimer County Police found the family's pickup truck near the plot of land they were looking to buy. When police searched the truck, they found some very peculiar things. First and foremost, their dog Maisie was alive but incredibly malnourished in the back seat. She had been eating her own feces to survive. Police also found their cell phones, wallets, GPS, Sherilyn's purse, and all three of the Jameson's coats.
1: It took a few days to report the family missing because they were a very private family. They weren't in constant contact with their family and friends like a lot of other people may be. Madison had actually been taken out of kindergarten after they filed a lawsuit against the school. Madison had been punched in the face and lost her two front teeth, so her parents took legal action and planned to homeschool her. Both Sherilyn and Bobby were receiving disability checks at the time of their disappearance, so they weren't working at the time and therefore didn't have coworkers or employers wondering where they were.
0: Bobby had been in a car accident years prior, which left him with chronic back pain and problems. Because of this, he was unable to work, and it's unclear why Sherilyn was on disability as well. So it was very unusual to police that the Jamesons had left all of their belongings in their truck. This led police to believe that they either left in a hurry or against their will. They originally figured that they were lost in the woods and that they would find them alive. Maybe one of them had been bitten by a snake or had gotten hurt and they were unable to navigate their way back to the truck. Police immediately searched the surrounding area of the truck, calling out their names. It's very easy to get lost in those parts because of the acres of trees and rough terrain.
1: The following day, so October 17th, police still couldn't find them. They began searching through their phones for any hints or clues of where they could be or if there were any suspicious circumstances. GPS coordinates took them up a hill near the car where they found footprints, including ones that were obviously those of a six-year-old. The cell phone had a photo of Madison that had been taken on a small bluff that they were very close to. The spot was located just 200 yards from the truck. So there's a lot of speculation on this photo, and you can actually find it on our Instagram at Going Podcast and look at it for yourself. A lot of people believe that Madison looks distressed and other people just see a smiling kid. Personally, I don't see any distress in her face or her body language. I think she just looks like she was caught candidly on camera.
0: Yeah, if you do look at the photo, she's got her arms crossed like she's possibly being playful. And it looks like she's smiling. The only reason why I think the smile looks a little different is because her two front teeth are obviously missing. So it's kind of hard to tell if she's in distress or not.
1: Yeah, and she's not fully smiling. It looks like she was caught while she was about to smile or she was coming down from a smile, you know. I don't, I don't see any strange things in this photo.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people believe that the photo wasn't actually taken by either of the parents. Um, a lot of people actually speculate that it may have been taken by someone else.
1: I mean, the weirdest part is that the phone was found in the car, meaning that photo had to have been taken before they disappeared because either they took the phone And went back to the car and put it in the car and then something happened to them or somebody else took that photo. But I do believe that if somebody else took the photo, Madison would have looked entirely different.
0: Yeah, to me, it just doesn't look like she is in any sort of danger.
1: And the reason we're going so far into this photo, for those of you who are like, okay, why are they still talking about this photo? It's a... Big piece of potential evidence for what could have happened to this family.
0: Right, and I think it's one of the only pieces of evidence that investigators have to go off of. So, while investigators were re-examining this truck, they actually found $32,000 in a bank bag underneath the driver's seat. Red flags were immediately raised. They didn't know what this money would be for, but it was now a different kind of case. They taped off the area and officially made it a crime scene at that point. Police initially began thinking this could have been a drug deal gone wrong. However, they were looking into buying land, so this cash could definitely have been either a down payment or a full payment on property.
1: I actually looked up property prices in the Red Oak area and found 40 acre plots that went for a little more than 32000 So this was also 10 years ago, which means that the prices are going to be slightly higher now. So it definitely could have been for the property. But it's interesting because when I was looking at different theories on Reddit and on different articles, nobody really mentioned that this money could have been for the land. Everyone was looking for an alternative purpose, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that happens, you know, quite a bit too often where there's money involved and obviously it's got to be a drug deal or it's got to be this or it's got to be that. But if we really look at it, you know, they were out there trying to buy land or property to live on. So it's completely plausible that that $32,000 was to purchase that property.
1: Yeah. And usually when you buy property or you buy a house, you do it in cash. So this would totally make sense. We're also unsure how serious they actually were about buying this land. Colton, who's Sherilyn's son from a previous marriage, stated that he had seen her weeks prior to their disappearance and she didn't mention anything about moving.
0: It's possible the reason why she didn't tell Colton that she was moving is because they may not have been completely decided on moving quite yet, and not everybody discloses every piece of information about their life to their loved ones.
1: Exactly, and we're also not sure if they were ready to buy it or if they were just casually looking at different options, and police never actually released how much the property ran for and if they spoke with the landowner, so it's really hard to tell what this money was actually for.
0: It was very strange to police that they had this money readily available because of the fact that they were both on disability. But I did read that Bobby owned a pretty successful property and rental car company, so it doesn't make sense why police would question their financials if they were secure. It's also known that Nikki, the Jameson's best friend, stated that they were, in fact, struggling financially due to Sherilyn's son moving with his father to Oklahoma City and having to pay child support.
1: Investigators didn't find any sign of struggle at the truck. There wasn't any blood, broken glass, or any kind of disturbance or dropped items on the floor. It looked totally normal. But police still believe that they were forced out of the car.
0: Also, when they found the truck, it was actually locked.
1: Well, I actually didn't know if it was locked or not, so that is a really good piece of information, and we'll get more into that later when we discuss the theories.
0: There was also an 11-page letter found in the truck from Sherilyn to Bobby. She explained how she felt he wanted to be a loner and not have a family. Police said that there was a lot of hate in that letter and that there was talk of divorce. And you kind of have to wonder why this letter was in the car and why, why did she bring it with her?
1: That is really strange because they were looking for property with their daughter, so it's not like she would have given him this letter and gotten in a fight about it. I mean, it's an 11-page letter. That's not just a simple argument and that's like a whole discussion. So that doesn't make sense to me at all why she brought it unless it happened to just be in her purse that she left. I don't know where it was in the truck. Most of Sherilyn's anger in this letter came from Bobby's car accident. Since he was unable to work and medicine didn't seem to help, he wasn't able to do things around the house and he became really depressed. This caused the marriage to be a bit rocky.
0: It quickly came out that Sherilyn was bipolar and she didn't always take her medication. Apparently, when she was taking her meds, she was always happy and wonderful, but when she wouldn't, she was angry and erratic. Family didn't think that their disappearance had to do with her being bipolar, although it did cause some rifts in their marriage alongside Bobby's chronic pain, but they looked at moving to Red Oak as a fresh start. Sherilyn had a pistol, which she always kept in the vehicle. They couldn't find it in the house or the truck, so the police immediately thought that it was a murder-suicide situation. Even so, their bodies would still be nearby, they assumed. And this is a quote by lead investigator on this case, Israel Beauchamp. You can hide other people's bodies, but you can't hide your own. Police
1: also looked at phone records on the cell phone found in the Jameson's vehicle. Strangely enough, they found that the phone had called its voicemail on October 12th, so four days after they probably would have gone missing. Technically, the family could have left on October 8th and not have gone missing right away, but why would they stay in the truck for days? There was nothing wrong with the car, so it's not like they were stranded without gas or something bad happened to the vehicle. Everything looked normal. Some people speculate that Maisie, the dog, could have walked over the phone and dialed the voicemail, but who knows.
0: Over 400 people began hiking through these mountains to try to find the family. The search team consisted of volunteers people on horses, mules, ATVs, cadaver dogs, and a drone. It was a very dangerous search because it was treacherous terrain, but these people were so dedicated to locating this family. This really put into perspective for searchers how easily the Jamesons could have gotten lost in the woods. While searching, canine units were sniffing very heavily around a water tank that was found in the area. Once the water tank was drained and searched, nothing was found. Days passed, and no one was able to locate any clues on where the Jamesons could possibly be or what happened to them. As the days went on, the weather became colder, the conditions became more dangerous to search in. The case fell cold very quickly. Police put up missing posters around the town in hopes that someone had seen them.
1: On November sixteenth, two 2013, so four years after they disappeared, three bodies lying side by side and face down were found by a deer hunter on Panola Mountain, just 2.7 miles northwest of where the Jameson's pickup truck was found. The area was extremely remote with absolutely no roads for miles. The bodies were incredibly decomposed and all that was found were three skulls, bones, all the victim's shoes, and even some scraps of clothing. It was obvious that animals had gotten to the bodies over time.
0: Law enforcement immediately predicted that the bodies were indeed those of Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison Jameson, but they were unable to confirm this belief before proper testing. Eight months later, in July 2014, the remains were positively identified to be the Jameson family by using anthropological and forensic pathology methods. So the first question that probably all of us have is, how did police not find these remains if they did such a thorough search around the area just days after this would have happened? When police were asked this very question, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation stated, falling leaves potentially obscured the bodies.
1: There's no doubt that police did a really good job at trying to find them at the time. I mean, they had so many different resources. The police were probably just very frustrated when they found out that they were located so close to where they were searching because, you know, they spent all this time looking for them and then they're right there. So they were probably just pretty upset.
0: And I'm sure there was a sense of relief when investigators actually did find the bodies, but it's really unfortunate that they weren't able to find them during the initial search.
1: Because of the severe decomposition of the bodies, it was impossible for coroners to determine cause of death for any of them. And since they couldn't produce a toxicology report on them, that didn't help the situation either. However, they found a small hole in Bobby's skull, which initially led police to believe it was from a bullet. Coroners were unable to confirm or deny that this was from a bullet. It's hard to believe they would have been shot to death without any bullet fragments found in or near the bodies, but it doesn't rule out this possibility. Police eventually dropped the idea of it being a bullet hole, but the hunters who found the remains disagreed. Over the years, 12 FBI agents, 3 OSBI agents, and even psychics have tried to find out what happened to this poor family, and nothing has surfaced. There are no suspects, and since there's no clear cause of death, it's nearly impossible to rule out any single conclusion.
0: And we're going to get into all of these theories right after the break.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a lysis specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's juveder dot com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volex XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Looking to save on delivery? DashPass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. And right now, using code GOINGWEST24, you can get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: Daphne and I use DoorDash constantly to order lunch or dinner or even groceries. And that's why we love using our Dash Pass, because it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered right to your door.
1: I mean, come on, Dash Pass pays for itself in two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. And that's why we use it so often. And it also gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a
0: month. Get more from delivery for less. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash.
1: Use code GOINGWEST24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: is brew crime a craft beer and true crime podcast i'm mike and i am beck and we are your hosts on brew crime we each take a true crime story and we pair it with a craft beer
1: you can find our show on your favorite podcast apps if you can't find it contact us and we'll try to change that
0: we can be found at www.brewcrime.com or on twitter at Brew Crime, and also on all the social media platforms for pacific beer chat at pacific beer chat we can also be found at Brewcrime at pacificbeerchat.com.
1: Join us as we discuss depraved killers, stupid criminals, and likely some completely unrelated tangents. Cheers. Cheers. This is Kimberly. And I'm Kristen, hosts of the Murder and Myths podcast. In our podcast, we tackle a common theme and bring you two stories. One of true crime, where I discuss murder and unsolved cases. And one of mythology, where I delve into the darker
0: side of Norse, Egyptian, and other lesser-known mythos.
1: You can find us on Twitter at Murder and Myths and our website, murderandmyths.com. Our new episodes are available on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. So please leave us a review and let us know what you think. And don't forget, come for the murder and stay for the myths.
0: And we're back.
1: Just a warning, we're about to get into theories and speculations on what could have happened to the Jameson family. Since we don't know what happened, there's so many different possibilities and we just want to go through them.
0: This is the murder-suicide theory. Bobby's mom said that she doesn't believe Sherilyn would ever murder Bobby and Madison. It's just not at all the kind of person she was, even if she was depressed or off of her bipolar medication. Plus, like we mentioned earlier, this move was a fresh start for the family. It also doesn't make sense why they would have traveled three miles just for Sherilyn to kill Bobby and Madison and then take her own life. Plus, there was no guns or weapons or drugs or anything found near the bodies at all. So if she shot or poisoned her family and then herself, how would she hide the evidence?
1: So this was a three mile walk from where their truck was and it was uphill. So three miles usually would take a person 45 minutes, but since it's uphill, we'll say 45 minutes to an hour or so. So that's a pretty long walk. So to me, I don't know why they would go on such a long walk without any of their belongings just for Sherilyn to kill them. And then, like Heath said, there was no weapons found in the area. So how would she have even killed them? And they were all laying next to each other face down. So that's just kind of strange to me.
0: Right. The only option that would make this even plausible at all would be the fact that she, you know, could have drugged them and then drugged herself. But at the same time, I just don't see it.
1: The biggest thing that stands out to me is the fact that they were all face down laying next to each other. And to me, that doesn't say poisoned.
0: And like Daphne had mentioned, obviously, about the toxicology report, that's the most frustrating thing in this case because so much time had elapsed since they went missing that they weren't able to do a real autopsy report on the bodies and figure out exactly how they died. If it, in fact, had been a murder-suicide, the only possibility that I could see would be the poisoning option because if there was any sort of weapon, whether it was a gun or a knife, it probably would have been found by investigators by now.
1: The second theory is that they got lost and succumbed to the elements. This one is definitely possible considering they could have gone on a walk or decided to explore the area but got lost. The temperature that day in the area was a high of 59 and low of 48. That night, it was 59 degrees pretty steadily throughout the night in Red Oak, Oklahoma. So even though they had left their coats in the car, they wouldn't have frozen. This still doesn't explain why they were laying side by side and face down because if they died naturally either by starvation or weather or whatever it's incredibly unlikely that they would have all died at the same time. Also if they were exploring the area on foot you'd think that they would bring their phone and their dog along with them. Apparently Madison was really attached to Maisie so she would have never let her parents leave Maisie in the truck.
0: The only reason why I think that this theory makes more sense is because the way that the bodies were found, it's possible that they were huddling together for warmth throughout the night, but at the same time, we had mentioned that it wasn't extremely cold that night, so I don't know if that would have been the case.
1: Like we mentioned earlier as well, that photo that was taken of Madison was 200 yards away from the truck, so they had already been walking around that area prior to them going missing. So another reason why I don't really think that they just walked off on their own is that they had already really done that and taken a photo of Madison, likely, and kind of looked around that area and then probably gotten back into the car. If you're going to go on a hike of the area, you're going to bring your phone or you would assume in case you get lost... I don't know why they'd leave their dog because, you know, you want to bring your dog on a hike so your dog gets some exercise. It just seems very strange that they would leave the dog and the phones in the car. Also, the money. I don't even feel comfortable leaving my laptop in my car or any slight thing of value in my car. So, them just. Willingly leaving $32,000 in their car seems weird.
0: Yeah, that does seem strange. And like you're explaining, you know, I really don't think that they would go on a hike, go back to the car, and then go back out for another hike. It just doesn't make sense to me. The next theory in this case would be that of drugs. Seven days after they were reported missing, a lead came through when they found out that there was surveillance cameras outside of the Jameson house. Police found footage of the day the Jamesons would have gone missing. The video shows Bobby, Sherilyn, and Madison going back and forth from the house to the car, packing it with things. And a lot of people will say that on the video that the Jamesons looked almost trance-like, but we don't really agree with that. First of all, the camera isn't one that records a video. It takes a photo every one to two seconds. So it's hard to see what's actually happening anyway. One thing the police found odd is that each of them go between the house and the car about 20 times. Which is very excessive considering they didn't bring very much with them. Some people also think it's pretty strange that on the video they weren't really interacting with each other going between the house and the car. They were pretty much just passing each other with no words.
1: I do think that's kind of strange in a sense because usually when you're packing up things, maybe you talk to somebody or you make a comment or you ask them to help you with something or whatever. But I don't want to look too much into them not talking to each other because that's totally normal in any situation. But I do think it's kind of weird that they went between the car and the house so many times. I personally don't see them looking like they were in a trance. If you want to look at the video, it's on our Instagram page, at Going West Podcast. And you can let us know what you think. We don't really see much from it, but feel free to go comment on that.
0: After watching the video, police thought that they were on drugs. They even had psychologists look at the footage, and the psychologist agreed that they appeared to be on drugs. The area apparently had a huge meth problem, so that's what they were kind of thinking. They figured this would explain why the $32,000 was found in the truck. However, there was absolutely no evidence of drug use. There wasn't any drugs or drug paraphernalia in the home or in the truck. We have read in some places that there were some pills found in the car, but it's unknown what kind of pills these were.
1: Also, a lot of people reported that they looked very, very thin before they went missing, which could also mean drugs. But nobody in the family said that they did drugs. And of course, why would they want to out them like that if they did? Maybe the family didn't know if they did. It just doesn't seem obvious enough that it was
0: drugs. Right. There was no known history of drugs within the Jameson family.
1: Also, it seems like if it was a drug deal gone wrong, then the person would have taken the money, you know, like... What not that the whole point of selling drugs?
0: Exactly. The fact that there was the $32,000 still left in the truck, that makes you think, well, if this was, a you know, like you said, a drug deal gone wrong, they for sure would have taken that money. The
1: next theory is murder. Sherilyn's mom believes that this is the most likely scenario, and so do we, especially since they look to have died execution style. But who wanted them dead? About three weeks after finding their truck police find another shocking lead. A few months prior to their disappearance, Sherilyn and Bobby had someone staying with them to help Bobby with his pain. His name was Kenneth, and both Sherilyn and Bobby felt very threatened by the man. One day when Sherilyn was home alone with Kenneth, He put his face right in her face and said that he was a white supremacist and he was upset that she had been openly talking about having Native American blood and that he thought anyone that wasn't pure white should die. Sherilyn got her gun, pointed it at him, and told him to get off her property. This incident really upset her, not only because he'd scared her, but because she had never held a gun to someone or done anything like that.
0: It was also reported that she had shot a few rounds around his feet to kind of scare him off, but I'm not sure how accurate that actually is. Apparently, Kenneth had a criminal record, so police went looking for him in case he had killed them in an act of revenge. They found him living about 45 miles away in the town of Wilburton, Oklahoma. They interviewed him, and it turns out he was in jail when they disappeared. So they let him go, and they were back to square one.
1: So back to the security cameras. Those had actually been put up by Bobby's mom, and she put some outside her house too. Her ex-husband and Bobby's dad was incredibly violent, and they were scared of him. So this was the purpose of the cameras. During the investigation, police found that Bobby and Sherilyn had sued a lot of people. Like we mentioned before, they had sued Madison's School after she was punched, and Bobby's father, Bobby Dean Jameson, owned a gas station, and Bobby worked there for free for many years. Bob Dean promised to make Bobby half-owner when he got a little bit older, but this never happened. Months before the Jamesons disappeared, Bobby sued Bob Dean for $10,000.
0: Bobby had also previously filed a restraining order against his father, claiming that Bob Dean, who was 67 years old at the time, was a danger to the family. He had apparently threatened death upon the family and even tried to kill him twice, both times by hitting him with his car in 2008 and then again in 2009. However, at the time of the Jameson's disappearance, Bob Dean was very sick. When police questioned him, they didn't believe that he appeared to be in a healthy enough state to murder his family because he was in a nursing home. It's possible he could have hired someone to kill them, but nothing of the sort ever came out in the investigation. Bob Dean died two months later in his nursing home.
1: Another possibility in the murder category is that they saw something they weren't supposed to while they were up on that land. It was actually reported by locals that it's a pretty dangerous area and it's where a lot of outlaws reside. Many people are even afraid just to go up there. Because the Jamesons had left everything in their car, it's very possible that someone, for whatever reason, forced them out of the truck and killed them. It's still strange that their bodies were three miles away, and it seems unlikely that they would have all walked that way just to be murdered. It seems more likely that they would have been moved there. This could also explain why police didn't find their bodies while searching. Maybe they were killed somewhere else, and their bodies were then dumped in that spot after police were done searching. This also could make sense as to why Sherilyn's gun is missing. Maybe it was stolen by the killer, who then murdered them using the gun and took it with them.
0: I believe that if there was a killer out there that wanted to murder them, he probably would have had his own gun, but it's also possible that there was two people involved and that Sherilyn's gun was stolen by the second perpetrator.
1: It doesn't really seem plausible that a murderer would use her gun. It's just to kind of cover the fact that her gun was missing. So this is like a plausible thing. It's just not very likely.
0: Our next theory is possession and paranormal, and this actually holds a lot of weight and you'll see why. Sherilyn and Bobby were very spiritual, and a few weeks before their disappearance, they attended a prayer meeting and even told a preacher that angels, in the form of children, were coming into their home and interacting with Madison. Madison had told Sherilyn that she was talking to people that were dead, in particular, a girl named Emily, whose sister had wings. A lot of people speculate that it was probably just an imaginary friend, because she was, of course, a single child at this point in time, but I guess it depends on if you believe in spirits or not. Bobby
1: also told the pastor that there were four spirits on the roof of their house messing with them. Bobby even asked if there was a special bullet he could use to kill these spirits. Bobby's mom, along with Nikki, the best friend, both agree that they didn't know anything about this going on at all. Weirdly enough, the pastor left town shortly after and refuses to speak about the case. I actually read this interesting theory on Reddit that the pastor was the one who killed them and that this is his way of covering it up by saying that they thought that they were being haunted and that's just his way of being involved in the case like a lot of killers do. But I don't really believe
0: that. I honestly just find it pretty strange that this pastor just up and leaves town after their disappearance and refuses to talk about this case. That's just so strange to me.
1: I think that there's always red flags raised when somebody that's even slightly involved in an investigation leaves town right after something happens. But I just don't know why the pastor would kill them. Or want them dead, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. Unless this had something personal or deeper to go into. But we don't know anything about the character of the pastor. And it's typically known that pastors are supposed to be upstanding citizens of the community and don't lie. But that's not always the case. So I have to mention that. But...
1: Have you seen The Keepers?
0: Yes, I have seen The Keepers. And that, that's, where, that's where I'm coming from, is that it is really strange That he left. And it is really strange. We actually don't have any other account of anybody else saying that Bobby or Sherilyn had talked about these ghosts, other than this pastor saying, Oh, Bobby came to me and said, You know what? I'm looking for bullets to kill these demons.
1: And just by the way, we're not trying to offend anybody who is of any religious faith. We are just saying that these are potential facts and it's possible that this man was involved. It's very possible that he had nothing to do with it. And he was just helping them out by letting the investigators know that they had come to him with this information. So he could be a good dude.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, hopefully that, that is the case, um, but we just don't really know much about the pastor, so that's the only reason why I really brought it up.
1: This next theory kind of connects to our last one. This one is cult activity. Bobby and Sherilyn spray-painted some pretty odd things on buildings around the neighborhood and the storage container that they kept on their property. Three cats killed to date by people in this area. Witches don't like their black cats killed was one of the things that Sherilyn spray-painted on their storage container. She believed that someone had killed her cat by poisoning them. So this was kind of her way of warning the neighborhood. A lot of people in the neighborhood knew that she believed she was a witch. However, Sherilyn's best friend explained that Sherilyn once said, The crazier people think you are, the more they'll leave you alone. And it's very clear that they wanted to be away from people. It's a little hard to believe that they would go to all these lengths to make people think they're kooky, but maybe she really thought that she was a witch or she was a practicing Wiccan.
0: And Sherilyn's best friend Nikki stated that they both liked witchcraft and that Sherilyn took it a little bit more seriously. Police found a satanic bible in the house, but Nikki claimed that they both got a copy as a joke.
1: To some, this proves that Sherilyn could potentially have been involved in some sort of cult activity. Oddly enough... Nikki, the best friend, had launched a campaign to find out what happened to her friends, and she was contacted by an anonymous woman who stated that she had been involved with a cult group called the United White Knights and that Sherilyn and Bobby had been on their hit list.
0: Nikki stated that a year after receiving this message, she went to those mountains, and there was a line of cars parked with Texas license plates, and there were a couple of gunshots. Nikki said they sounded like warning shots. This was a popular hunting area, so this definitely could have been just some hunters, but it's hard to confirm.
1: This theory doesn't hold too much weight, but it's definitely a possibility. The most confusing part is, why would the Jameson family be on a cult's hit list?
0: And investigators actually said that there was quite a bit of cult activity in this area.
1: The only reason we put witches in the cult group is because if they were practicing witches then maybe they were involved with another group of them and it's possible that this cult was a cult of witches. We don't know what kind of cult this was so that's just why I put them together. Another reason I think that I put these together is because I grew up in Malibu and basically there's this ranch and I don't want to get too specific, but there's these Wiccans who go to this hilly spot where there's good hiking trails and such. They do this like every month and I was always really interested in it, but a lot of the time my mom and I would drive past all these cars lined up and I think that's what I thought of when I read all the cars parked with the Texas license plates. But basically, they would all line their cars on the top of the hill, and then they would walk down together and sacrifice things to the moon. So I don't know if that's like a cult situation or just a bunch of peaceful Wiccans doing their moon sacrifices, but it just kind of reminded me of that.
0: Do you know what they were sacrificing?
1: It wasn't like animals or anything. It was like They would tie twigs together. They probably still do this. They tied twigs together and had frankincense and different herbs and different bottles. And they would make these circles on this platform. And they would just have these rituals like every month, I think.
0: Didn't your mom say that in this story that (laughs) when you were younger that you were being kind of a bad kid one day when you're driving past it, and she opened up the door and tried to get you to get out of the car?
1: No, I wasn't being a bad kid. She was just trying to mess with me. So my mom has a Jeep, and she basically was driving in her Jeep. She pulled up along the other cars. There's people getting out of the cars. They're all dressed up. And I was like, holy shit, that's them. Like I'd never seen their faces or their bodies. I'd never seen them. And so my mom stops the car like behind them. None of them saw this. She wasn't being disrespectful. She was just trying to fuck with me. She stops the car. She's cracking up. She puts down all the windows and she reaches over and opens my car door just to like expose me. And I was like – we were laughing about it because I was freaking out because it was night and I was just scared because I didn't know who these people were.
0: Oh, my God. That's crazy. How old were you at the time?
1: Oh, I was like 16. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't like I was five, but –
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure what age you were at, so – Definitely would have probably had a bigger impact if you were a little bit younger. Might be slightly scary.
1: Oh yeah, no, it was. It wasn't scary. I mean, it, I was freaked out because I didn't know who these people were and what they were doing. It was just a group of people in white clothes walking in a line to the platform. So that's why it kind of piqued my interest. So yeah, it just kind of reminded me of this. But I think those people are
0: nice. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure they're peaceful, practicing. You know, whatever they practice. I'm not sure what religion they they are, but.
1: I think they're Wiccans. I don't know. But that's why it reminded me of this, too, because I don't know if Sherilyn and Bobby were Wiccans or if they just practiced witchcraft. I don't really know the details of that. but
0: Well, clearly Sherilyn had something like that on her mind if she was spray painting, you know, these messages on the the container that was on their property. I would assume that she had something to do with witchcraft. I'm just not sure how deep she was into that.
1: Pretty much anything is possible when it comes to this case and nothing can quite be ruled out at this time. No arrests have ever been made in this case and to this day there are still no suspects.
0: So what did happen to the Jamesons that fateful day in 2009? If you have any information at all, please contact the Latimer County Sheriff's Office at 918-465-4012.
1: Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of
0: Going West. Yeah, thanks so much for sticking with us through this very frustrating case. And next week, we'll have an all-new case for you guys. We do them every single Monday.
1: Make sure to let us know what you guys think happened in this case. Go to our Instagram, at Going West Podcast, and comment on our posts.
0: And you can also go to our website, goingwestpodcast.com, and leave us a comment in the blog section.
1: Also, don't forget to go check out Heath on our Instagram at Going Pod. He runs that, so if it's bad, you can blame him.
0: Oh, it's definitely bad, so I'll take all the blame.
1: And definitely check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. If you subscribe just $5 a month, you're going to get two freaking ad-free bonus episodes every month, y'all.
0: So for everybody out there in the world, keep it real and stay weird.
1: Cheerio.